Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to be with you all here this morning. Uh, We continue our journey together. We started it this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and we begin in our Lenten journey. Our journey together as God's people, as we journey together toward Holy Week, toward the cross, and to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. But this past Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, we talked about our church being a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we were honest with ourselves, and we confessed our sin before God and before each other, and he met us with his grace and his mercy as he always does. We read the words in Matthew chapter 6 that guide us, Jesus' words, guide us during this Lenten season on a journey together of humility, and a humility that is focused on generosity, on prayer, on fasting or abstaining from all the excesses in our life to focus on Jesus and his mission. All of that having to do with a heart that is centered on our generous Father and his heart and love for us given when he gave us his son, Jesus. And so today we continue that Lenten journey began on Wednesday. And it's kind of tradition in the the Christian church to, on that first Sunday of Lent, to look at the temptation of Jesus Christ. We don't do it every year, but a lot of years we do. And so we're going to do that this morning. And Jesus spends 40 days in the desert fasting and being tempted by the devil. We consider that as we begin our 40 days together as this journey through Lent, as we journey to Holy Week and to Easter. So you may remember a few weeks ago, we were preaching through Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, but we skipped that little section of chapter 4, and I promised you that we were going to look at it later, and I know that you've been waiting for that. And so here it is this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. For the temptation of Jesus. Now, the temptation of Jesus is actually a really interesting event because as you look at it, it sort of causes you to pause and sort of question and to wonder and think, what does this actually really mean for us as the body of Christ? What is it actually teaching me? And at first when we hear the word temptation, we're sort of forced to consider the existence of temptations in the world and temptation in our lives. Now, I was baptized July 21st, 1974, right over there in the sanctuary, and since then, I have never been tempted. So I'm just going to have to rely on what I've read, and that's true for you guys too, right? Okay, I'm glad no hand has been raised uh, at all. That's a lie. That's the furthest thing from the truth. We are tempted every day, multiple times a day, and sometimes we don't even realize it, and in some ways... The temptations that come into our life, we sort of normalize them and we sanitize them and we even justify them as being part of the human experience and we lessen the power they have in our lives. How many ways are we tempted in any given day? How many ways were you tempted this morning even on the way to church? Temptation to sin is all around us. Temptation to put our interests and our safety above others. Temptation to seek power and to seek prestige. Temptation to spew forth condemnation all over social media. Temptation to be prideful. Temptation to lie. Temptation to lust. And we could just keep on going down the list and list of all the temptations that come into our life. Temptations can be subtle too, can't they? We'll have a desire to do something good, to help out someone in need, and then we'll be tempted to think. 
oh, I hope other people see me doing this because then they'll know how good and how awesome I and righteous I am, right? Temptation sneaks in in all sorts of subtle ways. So I want you to think this morning a little bit about your own life. What are the temptations in your life that you struggle with? Think about it for a second. What are the temptations that seize you the most and, and you keep coming back to again and sometimes you fail, sometimes you succeed, but you struggle in your life? Because temptation is everywhere and its pull on us in our life is hard to resist. But when you look at the temptations in our life, the root of the problem often has to do with identity. And while we typically think as Americans, we think of our identity as something that we forge on our own, something that we create, something that we form. This is who I am because I've determined it. The reality is that's not true. Most of our sense of ourselves actually comes from the community that we belong to, maybe our family of origin, the people we spend time with. And in that sense, identity is always sort of given to us. We don't just simply create it for ourselves. A quick example is something like this. No one, no one wakes up one day and says, you know what? Today, I am going to be one of those crazy sports fanatics who paints my face or my body, wears some crazy costume, goes to a wild football or basketball, whatever game, and I'm going to root for my team. You don't just wake up and do that one day if you have never done anything like that before, right? Instead, you're hanging out with friends. You're watching a lot of the games. Maybe you start going to them. And then all of a sudden, someone has brought some sort of paint. You rip your T-shirt off. You paint one of the letters on your chest. And you're screaming like a crazy person for the Concordia Bulldogs. <laughs> Let me tell you, acrylic paint and chest hair don't mix, okay? I'm still recovering from that from my college days. All right? It just didn't happen overnight. I mean, it was, it was a community that was involved with it. It came to that point. You could say a lot of things about that. Women that wear purple and red hats in restaurants, bikers, Star Wars junkies, all sorts of sort of identities and groups that we're a part of, that we associate with, we derive identity from. And so some sense our identity comes from the community we belong to, to the people we hang out with. And once again, that identity is sort of given to us. We just don't create it ourselves. And that's what makes baptism so awesome and so powerful. In baptism, we are adopted into the family of faith. And even more, we are told that we are God's beloved child and therefore we have infinite worth. That's what we told Tetrusi this morning. We're telling her now and we're reminding ourselves this morning. And we can never hear that too much. It's why we come to church. It's why we gather together. We hear that good news that you are God's child and God is with you and God values you and he loves you and he promises to use you for his purposes in the world. And we hear that. We hear that in context of our community and our family of faith. And Trucy just heard that and experienced it in a powerful way. She was then baptized in solitude by herself out in the desert. But here in family of faith, and her identity as a baptized child of God is given to her by God through his church. And she is part of it. And she will experience it more and more over the years, just like you, just like me, just like Christians throughout history. And it molds and shapes our identity. So what in the world does that have to do with the temptation of Jesus in the desert? You see, just before the passage 
of Jesus being led by the Spirit in the desert to be tempted by Satan, just before that passage is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized, and let me just read these words from Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my Son. This is my child. I love him. And that reality is so crucial to understanding how Jesus navigates his temptation in the wilderness. Because, you see, when push comes to stuff, all the various temptations that we have in our lives that we encounter stem from the primary temptation for us to forget that we are God's children. We forget whose we are and who we are in God the Father. We forget our identity. Because once you don't remember who you are and that you are a child of God, you'll do all sorts of crazy, strange things to rid yourself of the insecurity of a shaky identity. And we seek and we search for a sense of security and acceptance in the temptations that come our way. In fact, if you go back even further, and back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, that was their problem in the Genesis story. Adam and Eve, the serpent comes into their midst, and he doesn't start out with temptation, but he starts by sowing mistrust in their relationship with God the Father and in their identity. The serpent tries to undermine their relationship with God. He says to them, did God really say? He misrepresents God. He undermines God's instructions. He lies and says, you're not going to die. And when that primary relationship between Adam and Eve and God the Father is broken, Adam and Eve were then susceptible to the temptation to forge their identity on their own, independent of their relationship with God. And so they took the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and they ate it. Fast forward to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus' encounter with the serpent, with the devil, is nearly the exact opposite. I will read it to you now. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It's there in your bulletin too as well. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. 
the serpent, the Satan, Satan, the deceiver, the adversary. He did the same thing he did in the garden. Adam and even he tried to undermine Jesus' relationship with God the Father. By suggesting that it's not secure. By suggesting that Jesus should test it by throwing himself off a mountain. That Jesus should go his own way by creating food for himself. That he should seek protection and patronage of the devil rather than trusting in God, his Father, who would provide and care for him. Yet at each point, Jesus resists. Not by simply just quoting some scripture in general. But he resists by quoting scripture that reminds him of God's trustworthiness and for the need to depend on God for all good things and consequently of God's promise to care for him and to all his creatures. Back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they were victims as much to original insecurity as they were original sin because they forgot whose they were and who they are. They lost themselves in the temptation to secure their identity on their own. Not so with Jesus. Jesus falls back onto his relationship with God and reminds himself of who he is. And so remembering who he is, he's dependent and beloved child of God, dependent on the providence, dependent upon the care, dependent upon the love and protection of the God who has promised to be with him and to be with us always. My friends, there are so many temptations in the world. And most of them, most of the temptations are coming to us not as apples hanging on trees, but they're subtle message woven into the fabric of our society. They're trying to undermine our identity. These messages are tempting, tempting us to forget who we are and whose we are as God's children. You'll see it in the media, you'll see it in commercials that suggest in so many ways that we are inadequate. You'll see it in the headlines that suggest that there is not enough to go around. You'll see it in many politicians of every party that contend that we have a lot to fear all the time. The anxiety level ramps up. It's in the face of those identity-obscuring messages that we are given a model from Jesus to follow. That we are baptized children of God. And our identity comes from him through his people, the people that we spend time with. And it's always received and given to us rather than us creating it. It comes as gift and it comes as promise. And it's a reminder for us this morning how important it is is us as God's beloved children that we live life together, that we spend time together, that we're surrounded by our family of faith and that we keep on telling each other the truth, not lies. We tell each other that you have value, you have worth, and you have purpose as God's beloved child. Well, my friends, the reality of the the temptation of Christ is so much more than that. It's not just a model. It, more importantly, is a gift to us that Jesus endured all temptation in our place. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. It says, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
The more I thought about that, the more I contemplate, Jesus has been tempted in every way just as we are. Think about that. Think of every temptation that you've ever endured. Think of the worst temptations that you succumbed to. Jesus has experienced it too. Jesus knows the struggle, yet he prevailed, and he prevailed for you and for me, and he gives us that victory when he died on the cross for you and for me. And because of that, the author of Hebrews continues with verse 16. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My friends, temptations are going to come and temptations are going to go. You are going to be tempted this very day on the way out of church. Maybe right now you are being tempted by something. And I pray the Holy Spirit guides you in the midst of that wilderness to rely on your identity as a baptized child of God. But when those times come that you succumb to those temptations that you will approach the throne of grace and mercy. You will not flee to yourselves. You will not flee to your works. You will not flee to your righteousness or your own accomplishments. You will flee to Jesus, who endured every temptation in that desert for us and has given us access to the throne of grace and mercy that we confidently can approach. And in him we find victory over every temptation in our life.